Some of you have been hurt by the church as little kids by people you respected. Some of you have been hurt by the church as adults because your friends aren't treated well. Maybe you. You see how money's mishandled. You see how pastors have affairs and do all kinds of things. And you look at the church as simply a flawed space that you don't want to have anything to do with it. But if you might just for a moment be able to look between the darkness and look to the back of almost every church, you'll see a cross of a man who died in a flawed community and yet who looked at his disciple and he said, on you, the church will be built. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. We are so excited that you guys are here. My name is Ezrika. I'm one of the uh, young adult elders here. And tonight, <laughs> tonight I'm just going to be sharing a part of my testimony. I was asked to speak about why I'm still in the church. So I was actually born in Jamaica. Um, and I don't know, I actually think a lot of you can relate to this because uh, it seems like a lot of ethnic families just tend to be more strict as it pertains to religion. Um, I remember when I moved to California and told my mom I went to the beach on Sabbath, she died. Uh, Not even like swimming, like just going to the beach. She was like, what? Just with her Jamaican accent. And um, when I told my sister I boogie board on the Sabbath, I think I was disowned. So that's kind of the family I grew up in. But even in the midst of that, my family they're weird in that they're strict, but also like under the impression of like, you can make your own choices. So when I was 17, I left home and I did mission work. I um, have my degree in biology and I took two, three years out of like my college experience just to travel, like travel the United States, fundraise to go overseas. And for me, that really is where my understanding and, and definition of church Uh, started to form because I don't really remember I actually don't really remember church church like sitting in the pews Um, I don't remember much of that in fact my parents joked when they found out that I was the missionary that they're surprised I'm even in the church because I slept through every family worship so so my understanding of church was formed outside of the walls of church I would travel and I would meet people beautiful people Broken people, different people, people that were atheists, that had phenomenal hearts, people that were homeless, that had just this breadth and depth of joy that I could not understand, people that were believers who sucked. I met people across the board. And so for me, it made me understand that church is not the pews, it's not coming and singing, it's not Friday night, it's not Sabbath morning, it's not Sunday morning, it's you and me. And somewhere along the line, I think we lost our way in the sense that 
we started thinking, or to my understanding, as I like gain more wisdom, that church is a place of perfect people instead of a place of people seeking perfection. Like, like it became where we had to look like each other, think like each other. Church became a place where if you had questions about God's character, God's will, God's way, that meant you were wrong. Instead of a place where we could talk about it. For me, for me, church, I find uh, in service. Like, I'm not really good at standing still. I don't know if you've noticed, I've been rocking back and forth the entire time. But really, like, I'm, I'm just, I don't get the most from church if I just sit and listen. I get the most from church when I'm able to dialogue with people, to look them in their eyes, to see their beauty, to see their pain, and to see God in them. Because each one of you carries a story of God's character that no one else does. So church is you. It's your story. It's your brokenness. Another reason why I'm here is like, well, I'm loud. In the sense that I'm not okay with a lot of things and I'm equally not okay staying silent about it. Like there's so many people who have been hurt because of what they learned in the church, not because of who God is. And I'm not perfect. I still have days where I'm like, I don't know, God. It seems like we're not really homies today. Uh, figure this out. There are days when I'm hurting and I'm upset that I'm upset. I'm tired of being tired. I'm wondering why things haven't worked the way that I want them to. But I guess that's the nature of a relationship where everything isn't always copacetic. It's not always perfect, but there's trust there. I am here because I do trust God. Like, I think he's dope and also sovereign. Like, you know, he's divine. I still honor and worship God as majesty, but he's my friend. I am here because I've met the most beautiful people on my journey. People who have tats and nose piercings and deep hearts and insight, people who question, but they often feel excluded. And if my presence in a community like this can remind them that they are valuable, I will stay here. I am here because there are people who've been silenced by pain. People who have been, their joy and their peace and their innocence have been robbed from them. And maybe if my presence can remind them that they are enough and that they are worthy, I will stay here. I am here because this place is flawed, deeply flawed. There are so many imperfections in this church called Adventism in Christianity, but I really try not to judge an entire system by the failures of a few. I am here simply because of Jesus, again. Like, I don't know how else you boil it down. I'm here because, well, he's brought me through some really hard times, and I, I can foresee that there probably will be other difficulties, and in a way that no one else can. Not my mom and dad or my siblings, not my friends and or my community. God walks with me. And who would I be if I found the secret this phenomenal secret of peace and hope and joy. Who would I be if I kept that to myself? Am I really in love if I stay silent? So that's why I am here. I really, uh, there's just, there's so much I guess that I could say. I think as it pertains specifically to Adventism, I've become dis disenfranchised. I've like, especially within the last couple of years, wondered if I'm still Adventist or just a believer of Christ. But something I think that I took note of that happened a couple weeks ago that I will share, um, I went to a conference in Tucson. 
And uh, the conference was, I don't know if you guys like know how it works. Like there's a North American division, the Pacific Union. We're the Southeastern California Conference. So I went as one of the delegates of there, uh, of uh, the Southeastern Conference, um, Southeastern California Conference. Like I was there with Pastor Randy and Pastor Joey and some of the other pastors. And I actually don't even know how I ended up there. I was like, what am I doing? It's okay. It's paid for. I'm fine. So <laughs> something that really stood out to me that reminded me that in the midst of imperfection, there's still growth and there is still the possibility to continue to be better is as they were voting in like the laws and bylaws one of the things that they're enacting is having different uh, cultures represented via a vice president so there's like an Asian vice president uh, a Hispanic vice president and they had the title for like the black vice president as regional and I was like why that term is antiquated I don't know if you know about that historically someone gets up and they're like we should name it the African-American uh, vice president. And I'm like, no, that's also not inclusive. So I get up in front of everybody. I'm like shaking. I mean, again, I don't stand still well. And I'm like, excuse me, can we consider another terminology because it's not inclusive? And they did. They changed it for the, they changed the entire wording in all of their documents. It was in that moment that I realized like, that's why I'm in church because I'm not that great, I'm not that phenomenal, except for like, well I am because Jesus said so and so are you. But in and like, it's not that there's, I'm so talented or this, this and that, it's just that I'm a willing vessel. I'm a conduit for change and so are you. And that's why I'm in church, because though it is indeed imperfect and people do indeed get hurt, maybe just maybe my presence here will remind them that their savior truly loves them for who they are. Amen. Guys, tonight is just special. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much. Uh, Josh went right back here. You might not know him yet. He's our, one of our music directors, Phil Havali, stepping off the drums. These guys have spent so much time working on the music to try and make tonight a really special evening. Daniel Mirasol, Daniel Rayfuse back there have been helping with the lighting and the sound. There have been so many people that make every evening happen. And so I want to just tell you, you know, we do this not for the glory of ourselves, but for the kingdom of God. That's the only reason why we come to gather. It is for the kingdom of God. Tonight as the uh, ushers, deacons go by with an offering plate, I want you to just thoughtfully say, hey, what can I do to help in a little way with a little offering? Please remember us in that way. If you want to text give LLUC to the number 77977, you can do that. Or as I always say every week, you know, my wife and I faithfully just say, hey, we're going to commit to giving systematically. Every two weeks when our paychecks come, money's taken out. And you can do that on our website, luc.org slash give. Tonight, I want to give you the opportunity to capture a little bit more of why Adventism. We're in a five-part series, tonight's part four. Why Adventism? Why when there's so many choices and why when there's so many distractions? You know, there's a lot of people in this world who you could spend time with, a lot of different faith communities you could be with, a lot of different ways of life that you could live that doesn't have to mean coming to church on the weekend. So why church, why Christianity, why Adventism? Well, I want to tell you, 
It's all about choice in life. Choice. Choice. There's a story of an ancient kingdom who had a king who was ruthless and barbaric. He was a king who was known as being a unique man of justice. Unique in the fact that he was just, but he also favored justice. His justice was known all throughout the kingdom in being a man who was ruthless, but also just. He was a man who allowed for choice. A man who allowed people to choose two different doors to pick from. One door, if they had chosen to make himself known as being someone who would be contrary to the king and someone who would do things that he wasn't up for, he would bring them to the royal arena and he would allow them to make a choice. Pick this door or this door. Behind the first door was a fierce lion who was starving. You would be killed instantaneously if you opened that door. But on the other door, there happened to be a beautiful maiden. And if they would choose that door, they would be married instantly. Now, the king happened to hear that his princess, his daughter, had fallen in love with a brave, kind-hearted man. But he was not of royal lineage. And that was a problem. Not only was it a problem, it was an infuriating problem. To marry anyone who was not of royal lineage means the wealth in the kingdom would be divided amongst commoners. There's no way that could happen. And so the king brought this young man to the royal arena. You pick this door or this door. Now, what's the princess going to do? She's in a dilemma. If he seems to pick the door with the lion, she loses her love. But if he picks the door with the maiden, she loses her love. She happens to know the guards that work there in the arena. She overheard and she found out which door the maiden was in. As the king brought forth this young man right in front of him, he said, young man, which one do you choose, this or this? The princess standing behind her father motioned to this lover of hers, to the door on the right. Father not noticing. The writer of the ancient story actually stops there. And he doesn't give us the conclusion. Who was behind that door? Or what animal was behind the door? Who knows? So you're left to ponder, wonder, did he... Did he did he get eaten? Did he get a wife? Did, what happened? Would this princess throw her lover to be to a lion? Would, would she throw him to another woman and lose out on a marriage forever? Because that was a woman that she knew about and she was really jealous of her. Do our choices end up being fatalistic? Ah, what's going to happen is just going to happen and you really have no choice in the matter. That guy was either going to die or he was going to lose out on marrying the love of his life. But is that how it is when it comes to church? That you simply have no choice in this thing. You were born in it potentially. Most of you were born into a Christian family. Most of you were born even potentially those of you who are here. Maybe some of you were born in an Adventist family like I was. It doesn't seem like there's any choice in the matter, is there? 
Research group Barna put out a book called Faith for Exiles. And they talked about how exiles are people who come out of a space of slavery. And they talk about how our modern society is actually a space of exilic existence in digital Babylon. Digital because, well, everything's held to us right at a computer screen, an iPhone. Whatever you want is literally right here. Babylon, the enslavement, is behind a screen. And they talk about four kinds of Christian young exiles like you and I. They say they're those who are the prodigals, those who simply walk away from church and faith and they're done. We talked about that a few weeks ago, that there are literally, unfortunately, two-thirds of all young believers walk away from faith. The same thing in the Adventist denomination. Then there are those who are known as nomads, simply the searchers, the seekers, those who are wondering about faith but still seeking but still just kind of wandering. They are the weekend warriors. They never find themselves plugging into community, but they're not antithetical to faith and they haven't walked away. And then there are those who are the habitual churchgoers, simply those who've made church a daily, a weekly practice. Those who simply go because, well, hey, mom and dad had me going since I was a kid. Why am I going to break the ritual? And especially when I know they're going to call me and say, did you go to church this weekend? I don't want to let them down. And I know they have me on Find My Friends. (laughs) And then there's the fourth one, the resilient disciples. And they make 10% of young adults today. These are people who have made the choice to say, faith is my own. It's no longer mom and dad's church. It's my church. It's no longer the church of the place where all my friends are. It's my church. It's no longer the easy street, the church that's down there, right there, close to my house. No, it's my church. I'll drive however long I need to. I will make whatever sacrifice I need to. It's my church. I will work through the inconvenience. I will work through the failures of the people that are there. Because it's my church. And I come because of him. Not because of you. Not because of this. Not because of him. But because of him. Resilient disciples who made a choice. Set in the context of the very first books of the Bible is a book called Joshua written and named by a guy who was one of the leaders of the early movement of Israelites. Moses had just died. He literally got to the promised land, literally at the edges of it, about to go into it, and God says, no. Send this guy to take your place. And so Joshua comes over and he takes the lead. He leads the people into the promised land and lives an incredibly long life. And just as he was then going to die, He leaves the people with some parting words, and he makes a request. Listen to the request he makes for them. In Joshua chapter 24 and verse 14, Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors who worshipped beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt and serve the Lord. 
But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors who served those far beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're dwelling. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Some of you are looking around like, what are they talking about? You need to read your Bible more. It's a good book. Read it, read it. But Joshua makes a request of them. And he tells them this. Make a decision finally. Make a decision finally. And I ask this request of you too. Make a decision finally. This is my request of you. It's not my parting words. By the grace of God, I'll go home tonight. But they're important nonetheless. And this is what I want you to decide. And this is the request I have for you. Just like Joshua asked them to make a decision. To follow God or don't. Serve the gods of this age or the people around you. Here's my request. Stay in the church. Or don't. Stay in the church or don't. You have permission to leave. You have permission to leave. Literally, the doors are open. You don't have to stay here. You don't have to stay amongst these people. You, you don't. That's the, that's the crazy thing. There's no one in this moment, at least I'm telling you right now, I don't believe any one of you are forced to be here. So you're like, you don't know my mom. But I'm telling you, you have permission to go. Two-thirds have walked away. We talked about the first week that we were here. Some people have really been hurt by the church. I mean hurt. I remember when I was a little boy visiting my friend's Adventist church. I didn't want to say the Ten Commandments and this old curmudgeon of a teacher. I'm trying to be like Azrika, use big words. You know. And this guy looks at me and he says, boy, you say those commandments. No. I'm kind of joking, but in reality, I really didn't know the Ten Commandments. I was like six or seven. But I was one of those punk kids who was like, I know them. I know them. And he's like, well, say them. No. <laughs> say them. And then he started to get belligerently serious. Say them. He started walking over to me. Say them. And I got up and I started to get scared. I'm seven years old. And he grabs me by the shoulders in front of everyone, takes me to the blackboard and hits me against the blackboard. You say them! And it was just in that moment, one of the young moms walks in, immediately grabs me, says, you get out of here. She recognized something was deeply wrong. Some of you have been hurt by the church as little kids, by people you respected. 
Some of you have been hurt by the church as adults because your friends aren't treated well. Maybe you. You see how money's mishandled. You see how pastors have affairs and do all kinds of things. And you look at the church as simply a flawed space that you don't want to have anything to do with it. But if you might just for a moment be able to look between the darkness and look to the back of almost every church, you'll see a cross of a man who died in a flawed community and yet who looked at his disciple and he said, on you, the church will be built. There's still something here and I need you to be part of it. It's time we stop looking at the momentary spaces of preferences of our priorities. Move beyond the momentary people, the momentary feelings of discomfort and look at something this moment that's eternal. Principles that are go beyond this moment of discomfort, the moment of I don't like them, this moment of I don't know what they do with that money, I don't know what they're going to do with the gays, I don't know what they're going to do with those who don't believe all the fundamentals, I don't know what they're going to do with this, and I don't know what they're going to do about my dad who had the divorce, I don't know what they're going to do about me because I made that decision and slept with my girlfriend, they all talked about it, I don't know what they're going to do. But friend, I tell you this, it is in this place, in this flawed and broken place, that I, a sinner, have found hope. Joshua looks at the people and he said, you got to look beyond the momentary place. You're surrounded by the Amorites, a godless people, and you're starting to follow their traditions, their ways. Why? You're focused on the momentary moment. These momentary people, these momentary flaws. But when you look 20 years down the road and you look at your life and you say, why did I walk away? What is my life turned like? Now I don't arrogantly postulate that Potentially, you might find a good life outside of the walls of a church. I'm not saying that that won't happen. But what I am saying, you might just miss out on one of God's greatest blessings for your life and the life of your children and the life of their children and the life of generations to come. As we continue to move throughout society, more and more people are walking away. But guess what's also happening with society? It's not getting any better. Some people believe that there is a reign of a thousand years of peace to come ahead of us. I tell you, there's not a thousand years of peace ahead. There's a thousand years of bliss with Jesus one day. But what's to come to us right now is just simply more chaos. As a society that gets more godless, more consumeristic, more driven by self, and doesn't care about others. I want to encourage you, plead with you, beg with you, 
Choose today to remain. Choose to stay. Choose to plug in. Choose to not give up. I want to tell you, God is more gracious than you've ever believed. God is more generous than you've ever thought. God is more forgiving than you could imagine. I want you to experience that with all of us together here. As a band comes up, I want to challenge you in a few different ways. Joshua continues to go on to tell the people something. There in chapter 24, he tells them to make a decision. And they answer him. And they say, hey, listen, we will absolutely do what you say. And Joshua looks at them and he says, no, 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 listen. You don't understand. This is so big, you need to get this. Verse 19 Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a a jealous God. He's not going to forgive you of the rebellion of your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods again, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he's been so good to you. But the people looked at Joshua and said, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are my witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. And they replied, we are your witnesses. You see, God cannot forgive a people who want to do it on their own. God cannot draw people who say, we're going to make this on our own. And Joshua looked at them and said, if you're going to do this thing called faithfulness and church and community, then you've got to have something else in you the Holy Spirit. Tonight as the band gives us this climactic conclusion of where we're going as a community in this evening, I want to ask you tonight, do you need the Holy Spirit? Do you need some help along this way of making a decision to stay and stay with faithfulness built upon the rock of Christ built upon the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, built upon the reality that you can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. I need more than this. If you need the faith to see what you cannot see, Paul tells us faith is what? Believing in what we do not see. Tonight, I want to tell you, you might not see a great church in front of you. And some of you say, no, I've experienced a beautiful thing. And I want to tell you, praise God. But if some of you here tonight need to make a reconversion in your heart, recognizing Jesus, I need to follow because it's about you. It isn't about anyone else. I want to invite you to actually do something. I want you to make a posture of commitment. And sometimes decision-making doesn't look the same like someone sitting in a chair. But I want to invite you as the band sings, as the band invites us into a response, that you too would maybe respond. Just step into the aisles, come forward, stand where you are during the songs, and just make a decision to stand and say, I choose this. It's my decision now. Lord, I need the strength now to stay faithful, not for the moment, but for a lifetime of faith. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church Podcast. 
We really are excited for where we're going and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.